today's title is all scripture. All faces this with army day. So sometimes <clears throat> my oldest daughter, Alana, is going off to children's church now. She wakes up. You may have experienced this as a parent. Uh, early in the morning, earlier than uh, she normally would or is supposed to, and uh, we just sort of hang out. And so she knows the deal is if she gets up early on Sunday morning, then she has to listen to Dad go through the message uh, and review. And so that's what she did, and she asked me if she could help, and so I said, sure, you can help, and that's the part that you can do. So we're actually closing out the series today uh, in Enduring Faith. We've been in it uh, 22 weeks, surprisingly. And um, <clears throat> today's title is All Scripture. It's in 2 Timothy 2, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. And uh, we'll be talking about this phrase to remember, the Swiss army knife of our faith. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Uh, if you don't know, my name is Michael. I'm a pastor here. I think everybody knows that who's in the room. If you're listening online, though, and you don't, then uh, that is who I am, okay? And so hopefully you're turning there. I want to share a story just before we get started um, on all Scripture and the Swiss Army knife of our faith. We, we sometimes think that um, you know, the, maybe at times the Bible's outdated or it doesn't have things that are relevant to us. I've certainly heard that a lot in our culture. But <clears throat> as I was kind of reviewing this and I thought about the Swiss Army knife, a story came to my mind. And it was one that my dad told me as a kid. Um, he and his brother, my Uncle Tommy, they... Uh, were in charge of taking care of this house, this person's house when they were on vacation. And so back then, everybody got newspapers. If you still get newspapers, then that's okay. Um, a lot of things are on, online now, though. So if you still get a newspaper, then um, you know when you're away, you want somebody to pick up that newspaper. So when you get back from vacation, there's not five or six newspapers. You know They're not all rained on. Or somebody thinks you're out of town. They're like, hey, that might be an opportunity to go and grab something from their house. So they were tasked with going and get these newspapers. Well, when they were growing up, Swiss Army knives were a big deal. Right? I remember I had a few growing up, but they were a big deal. And uh, so they both had their Swiss Army knives, and uh, my Uncle Tommy, he, they would always come up with fun ideas for things, sometimes bad, sometimes good. And so my Uncle Tommy said, why don't you try throwing that newspaper up in the air, and I'm going to catch it on my Swiss Army knife. Well, the Swiss Army knife has a variety of different attachments and things that are useful for life. So you might, if you have a Swiss Army knife, you might even have a spoon or a fork on it. Most of them have a knife, right, in the name. Uh, some have, you know, the little uh, bottle openers or the little saw. I don't know if anybody actually ever used that to cut real wood. It seemed like it'd be really difficult, but I guess if you had to, you could. So he goes, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick up the blade on this. And, and he said to my dad, you throw it, and I'm going to catch it on my Swiss Army knife blade. Now... You may know if you've had one that Swiss Army knives don't have a fixed locking blade, right? So if you try to stab that with something or you try to grab something with it, then chances are it's going to go badly, and that's exactly what happened. So he threw up the newspaper in the air, and he went to catch it, and, and sure enough, the blade did make contact with this uh, roll of newspaper, uh, but it folded very quickly onto his hand. So the result was a lot of blood and um, some lessons for the future some lessons for the future. And I always remember that story about that Swiss Army knife that my dad told me. And so <clears throat> maybe you think back to, you know, you're used with one or like you had one, you're maybe in Boy Scouts and you just was sort of a requirement, you had your Swiss Army knife. Useful for a lot of things, right? Not catching a newspaper with a Swiss Army knife, okay? So in a different way, God's Word is useful for everything, isn't it? When we ask, what is God's Word useful for? The Scripture that God gives us, the Word that He literally spoke into being, He breathed out. It's useful 
for everything. And so we're going to take a look at that today. Um, the first fill in the blank is going to be up there. It's, pr- it's preparing for persecution. Preparing for persecution. And you may recognize that picture. Um, that picture actually comes from a famous artist, uh, Jean-Léon Jerome. He was a famous French painter. He was well known for his historical pieces uh, that depicted Christian persecution, specifically during the time of Nero's reign. Which, if you remember, as we went through First and Second Timothy, some things changed, right? So we, in First Timothy, uh, Christians were generally free to worship. And then uh, just a few years later, when Paul writes Second Timothy, there's this big transition that's taken place. There's a huge fire in Rome. Uh, Rome, uh, a big part of it, burns down. And so there were no fire departments at that time. Nobody was coming. It's just, you know, you got to let it burn out, and then half your stuff is gone. So when that happened, Nero, because he didn't like Christians, said, this must be... The, the Christian's fault. So then he blamed them, and he started persecuting, and this was a pretty good depiction of the Colosseum, Christians who were burning for their faith at the stake, those who were being fed to the lions. And so you see these pictures and these things in history, it would not have been like, a, oh, that's just kind of a, you know, things weren't really that bad. They were really that bad. And so Paul's got some word for us, and, and these are his words in closing in Second Timothy. Quite possibly some of the last words that he ever said, that he ever sent to anyone, to any church, to any person. And so Paul says this, God says it to us. Verse 10, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium, at Lystra, with persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. So here's the deal. Just because the rest of the world is going crazy, which we feel like at times it is, uh, the Lord is always faithful, right? And we can always lean on Him. And and Paul, in the same way, he's going, I'm not just following the Lord, but Timothy, you followed me in all these things, my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. And he lists off a couple of places that happened to him. One of those places he got beaten to the point where they thought he was dead. And then they, they walked away, and he got up, and he kept, he kept sharing the gospel. So this word here for followed, uh, perikuliatho in the Greek, it just means uh, sort of follow one as to always be at his side. Now, a lot of people during Paul's ministry, they departed from him. In fact, he mentioned several people throughout First and Second Timothy uh, that did that, but Timothy never did. And so that's one of the reasons that even though Paul is in chains for the gospel at this time, awaiting his execution, Timothy is serving as the pastor at the church in Ephesus. And so he is, uh, he, he's giving him confidence. He's reminding him that even though Paul's probably at the end, he's going, Timothy, there's still something left to do, and, and don't forget who you are. We all need a reminder from time to time when things are difficult or when those we love experience difficulty, and that's what Paul was doing. He's encouraging us today too, God is. And then in verse 12, This should be expected like what we read last week. Um, In verse 12, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So following Jesus equals persecution. Wait a minute. (laughs) When I came to church, I was maybe expecting, you know, lift us up, make us feel good. Like when we walk out, you know, we want to know that everybody's on our side. Nobody's not going to like us, right? Well, that's not necessarily how it works for believers. And Paul says here, we should expect this. Um, Jesus reminds us of us of this as well. And so this word here, if you look at godly life in Christ Jesus, it's the Eusebios in Christos, just means to live like Jesus. You know, if we all tried to do that, I remember those bracelets. You remember they had the WWJD bracelets, like what would Jesus do? You know, we should bring those back because it's a good reminder, right? When we think about the things that we get upset about nowadays, right? Like the culture and the society that we're in, 
that gets so bent out of shape about everything. It's like everybody has an opinion about something. Everybody gets angry about something really easily, right? We're a very short-fused society right now, and we need these words to live like Jesus. And then what else happens here? Well, we will be persecuted. And so this word here in the Greek, it's more of like a phrase, but it just means to run swiftly in order to catch a person or thing with difficulty. Uh, So this is a guarantee, like this difficulty is going to be chasing after us as believers. And so although it's different than the difficulty that they experienced in that time, so they were being drug out of their houses in the middle of the night, right, Because just because they were believers. So now what happens to us? We think it's difficult to share our faith or to um, communicate principles from the Bible, but but nobody's ripping a Bible away from us. Nobody's um, doing these things to us. So it should be more freeing to us. Now Jesus has some words for us to remember. In Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 10 through 12, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you uh, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I don't know if you've ever been persecuted, if you've ever been treated badly for being a believer. We can find encouragement in this. So when this happens, we go, This is for a reason, and it's for a time. And we look heavenward, right? We think about this great reward that we're going to receive when we stand before God for being faithful. Um, I'm thinking about a time I was at my first church, and I was in the parking lot, and um, a guy had had pulled in. He was parked, and I just went to check on him. Hey, everything, you know, you okay? You doing all right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm fine. Hey, um, this is a church, right? I said, yeah, (laughs) it's a church. And he said, hey, you got a Bible I can have? And I said, sure, man, I'll get you a Bible. And almost right after that, he said, he said, I'm just kidding. I don't need a Bible. And I said, oh, okay. Well, are you sure you don't want No, I don't need a Bible. I don't want one. I don't need any of that stuff. And he said, okay. And um, so the conversation went very shortly after that. I, I tried to reason with him a little bit, but he said, I don't need that. I don't want it. And you know what? Sometimes that may be the greatest persecution that we face. Uh, a lot of days, maybe you've had something worse happen to you for being a believer, um, but expect mocking and ridicule and people who hear what we have to offer, the hope of the gospel, which is life-giving, right? Which is eternal life-giving, and scoff at it and say, I don't need that. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you haven't. But there's definitely this promise. And so what do we do, right? In preparing for the persecution, we may not ever in our lives, we could, Certainly people in other countries or even right now are experiencing this. We could experience this type of Colosseum end to our lives for being a believer. And those believers were joyfully um, glad to take that responsibility on. But what do we do now? Well, we need to keep the faith. So that's the second fill in the blank. Keep the faith. Um, Don't be surprised, right? That's what we talked about last week. It says in verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So there's evil people in the world, those who do not know God, who are separated from God, right? Now, these are separate from imposters. There are also those who will kind of come into the church. We talked about that last week, who will try to impersonate. They will try to be an imposter of a Christian, and they will say, this is how we should live. This is what we should do, and it may not line up with the Bible. Um, <clears throat> and there are things that, man, sometimes I just wish I didn't turn on the TV. A lot of times I try not to. Um, you probably saw something about an event that happened in Thailand to, this week, um, which I won't talk about. Um, just another one of those things we, you know, we hear and we're like, what is wrong with the world? Like, what, what is wrong where these type of things happen? Well, the truth is that we live in a world that's dominated by sin, by the fall, right? And so as us as believers, we see these things and we're just like, why is this going on? Why is this happening? Well, we should expect it, and God expects us to keep the faith in the midst of it. 
and to be on the lookout too. So there are those who are outside of the church who say, I don't want anything to do with Christianity. I don't want anything to do with, the, with God. I don't, I don't need a Bible. I don't want anything to do with that, right? So there'll be those, and there'll be those who too will be, even maybe even deceive themselves, who will try to come into the church and say, this is what God wants us to do. And it may not line up with the scriptures, so we need to be careful. And just this week, um, there was a, um, you know, all of our shows are coming on right back. It's fall, like everybody anticipates like the new fall seasons of stuff coming out. Uh, maybe, I don't know what you watch, if it's like on mainstream TV or some sort of streaming thing. But <clears throat> I, I was thinking about uh, this TV show and it, the first title, of the um, first uh, episode of the season was Keep the Faith. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so I watched and it was really kind of just centered around a world that had lost sight of who they were, a culture that um, when it came to respecting authority, when it came to respecting faith and government and everything that kind of holds up society, uh, it was very clear that we've lost sight of that, and it, and it depicted that. So how do we keep the faith? Well, what do we do? We stick close to the Scripture which God has given us. As in verse 14, it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing, knowing from whom you learned it. So what happens in the life of Timothy? Well, you know, he's brought up, he's got his mother and his grandmother um, who talked to him about the Lord. We don't really know a whole lot about his dad, probably a, a Gentile who did not believe in God. And what does Paul tell him? But as for you, he's talking to the church and Timothy, God's talking to us, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. You know, the strange thing, and the thing I always think about too in, in the couple of years that have uh, transpired past COVID or past lockdowns or all those things is how do we get to this place, you know, of just being so complacent, of being like, well, you know, God, the Bible, going to church, it's not that big of a deal. And here's what happens. Here's how we get to this place. We do nothing, right? A culture and a society that says, uh, God's word, it's not that big of a deal. It's not so important. We do nothing. We don't go to church. We don't spend time with the Lord. And how easy is it to drift into a place where we just get crazy, right? Um, it's pretty easy. So this word here for continue is meno in the Greek. means to abide or remain. In John 15, 4, the same word is used. Starting in verse 4 in John chapter 15, it says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branches cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. And Jesus was talking about himself. So how do we do that? How do we... How are we supposed to abide in God in the midst of such craziness? Well, maybe just recognizing how difficult things have gotten, how the rule of law or respect for God and the church. I mean, it's like you turn on the TV every other week. There's like, you know, this place of faith was vandalized or this, you know, place that supports this was, you know, the windows broken, whatever it is. And it makes us sad, but we have to go, okay, this is where a culture who doesn't respect God, doesn't respect authority, doesn't respect those in places of leadership, leads to. And it's a sad place. What do we do? Well, we expect the persecution, right? And then we keep the faith in the midst of all of this, even in a world that's lost its way. And the truth is that the gospel has an even greater light in the darkness, doesn't it? I was listening to another pastor this week, and um, he was talking about um, this survey that had been done about churches, and um, it had listed our area, western New York, out of 100 more populated areas, probably closer related to Buffalo, but it still stands for us in our area, out of 100 more populated areas, the area right around Buffalo came around 95th when it came to the most people who read their Bible, who talked about God, and who went to church. 
And there's, of course, some other places listed in there. You might be surprised that Albany was listed at 100 as far as least godly places in uh, the United States. Well, why do I tell you all that? Why, I mean, why do I tell you these things? This is the place that we're in. Is I think we get more discouraged. We feel like we're in a difficult place. We feel like, is anyone going to listen to God's word? Is anyone going to respect authority? Is anybody going to, going to look at the church and go, that's a place of hope? Because A lot of places people have lost hope, and they don't even know where to look. But what do we have to offer? Well, our own lives, keeping the faith. God reminds us, because there's one thing that does complete us, is the rest of the world is just, you know, going crazy. We, like, we feel like we're in that picture, like we're clinging to that cross, and there's all those waves, and we're like, I don't know if I can hang on any longer. But the good news is that unlike the rest of the world and the things that it has to offer, God's holding on to us, isn't it? Isn't he? Right? <laughs> so let's see what it says here <clears throat> in verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. So what is it useful for? Well, a lot of things. And being complete is the thing that we'll kind of fixate on. But I want to talk about the Scripture first. And so um, <clears throat> what is it? It's breathed out by God. So unless we hold to this view that, that God spoke these words through those who have come before, who He ordained to write down these words for us, and now we have this whole canon of Scripture, right? So this, this is a wonderful thing. So all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for what? It's good. It's useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So this Scripture, the Grapha, it just refers to the canon of Scripture. So everything that we have in this Bible, in the ESV in front of you if you don't have one. So what is teaching? Well, it's just instruction, right? It's what we're doing now. We're talking about God's Word. Uh, you may have gone to school for that. Uh, maybe you went to school for something else, and you're like, here, church is where I come for training and teaching and instruction. So what about reproof? Well, the mode by which something is tested is what that word is used for. So, Because a lot of times, especially young people, they will come to me and they will go, I don't know what to do here. I don't know where to go to school. I don't know who I should date. I don't know who I should marry. I don't know. And so the list just kind of goes on and on and on, and I'm like, have you talked to God? Well, I mean, no, I mean, he hasn't really said anything to me audibly about that, so, you know, what? Can't you just tell me what to do, Pastor? And I've had that conversation many times, and I go, the greatest measuring stick for everything that we have in life, for every decision that we make, is here in God's Word. So that's why it says here, for reproof. Sometimes we think that's just about, like, telling us we're doing the wrong thing. But reproof actually means being tested. Everything, every decision that we make, being tested. <clears throat> and then we come to correction. This word here in the Greek that means just restoration to an upright state. <clears throat> we, we live in a culture that if you tell somebody they, they're wrong, it's like that's the worst thing that you could possibly do. Like even if you're like, they're like two plus two equals five. And you're like, no, two plus two equals four. Like, I mean, I didn't go to school that long. Math wasn't my thing, but I think that's wrong. And people are like, no, I mean, that can be your truth, but my truth is it's five, right? And so, you know, we experience that and we try to have conversations with people that, that just don't even make sense logically, right? Well, same thing for the gospel and for truth. It's a big problem, right? So when we bring up correction, when Paul's talking to Timothy in the church, they were dealing with a lot of bad ideas. Like people were coming into the church, there were these wolves who were dressed up in sheep's clothing, and they were saying, hey, this, yeah, you know, Jesus died for our sins, but also if you do these things, or if you don't eat this kind of food, or if you go also to this temple, and if you worship this God, then that also is true. And Paul's saying, hey, Scripture is useful for all these things, for correction. And then what else? <clears throat> Training, which just means this all-encompassing 
idea of someone's life. Like when we think about training, we're like, yeah, I'll train for a season. Some of you in the room, you've done sports, you've done uh, maybe music or different things, and you train for a specific purpose. But when Paul says this, it's the specific word that includes the entirety of our lives. And he's not just saying, hey, train for a little while. Like, <clears throat> I went to college, and I, went and I got a, a Bachelor of Arts, uh, a, a liberal Bachelor of Arts degree, and so I did philosophy, and I did Bible, and I did um, <clears throat> history, and a lot of other things just to kind of get me ready to go into my master's to do um, theology and stuff. And so when I was doing that, we really focused in on uh, training for a specific purpose, so preparing to study even more so to be able to teach, to talk about God and theology. And when I was doing that, I, I got done with it, and I didn't think like, oh, I finally arrived. I finally know everything. And so <clears throat> Paul's trying to tell Timothy and the church, and God wants us to hear today that as we read these words, we're like, yeah, we trained. Yeah, I read my Bible last month, and it was so good. And then i like, maybe in a couple months, I'll pick it back up when I have some problem, and then God will help me with it, right? That's, that's not Christianity, right? That's not living like a, a true believer. That's this idea of this moralistic therapeutic deism where we just, we just take Jesus out of our pocket when we need him. And then it's like, oh, hey, he's good. He's good. All right, now, oh, thank you for helping me with that. Now you can go back in there and I don't need you anymore, right? Well, this training should be ongoing for us. It should be continual. And so here's just a few places in the scripture we see this word for training. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Hebrews 12, or really Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. Um, it says in verse 5, and have, it, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Verse number 7, it is for discipline, that's the same word, we're talking about training, that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. Now, the world would tell you, don't discipline your kids, right? Don't tell them to do anything wrong. Don't train them up in righteousness and in godliness. But what do we know? Well, we should be doing this because what does a good father do? Like our father in heaven. Like our father, hopefully our earthly father here on this life, disciplined us. Verse 8 says, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. That doesn't sound good, right? So if we don't belong, like we, should, we should be being trained, being disciplined on a regular basis, shouldn't we? And so this doesn't end for us. And we think that it does sometimes, but it doesn't. And verse 11 says, for the, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I was going through this this morning with Alana and because um, she was up early. It was like, you know, six o'clock in the morning. I'm like, I'm going to go through the message. She's like, okay. So she listened to the whole thing. And when we went over this part in Hebrews, said for the moment, all discipline seems painful. I'm like, Lana, does it hurt sometimes when you get disciplined? Is it painful when we take things from you that you love, that you like? It's like, yeah. And I'm like, this is what Hebrews is talking about At a, for a moment. Sometimes God will pull something away or he'll take something and it's painful. But what does it say? But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. <clears throat> so this training never ends, or it shouldn't ever end for us, right? And what does it lead to? Well, <clears throat> we go back to Second Timothy. It leads back to this idea of righteousness. So what are we trained for? Are we trained in? We're trained in righteousness. And this word here for righteousness is uh, 
dedikasinu, and it means to be acceptable to God. Now, I don't know about you, but I mean, I want my life to please God. Um, maybe you think <laughs> some days you're like, I don't care. <laughs> you know, if we're being honest, maybe that is a some days. But Paul says, hey, here, here is the reason that the scripture was given so that we might be trained continually, that we might be righteous and acceptable to God. And we need his help to do it too, right? Can't do it on our own. And verse 17 says that the man of God or the person, whatever your translation says, man or woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what do we need to be complete? Now, depending on how old you are in the room, I won't ask, all right? But depending on how old you are, there was this... um, False idea that was started, I think, a number of years ago. It popped up in a movie. Jerry Maguire, Tom Cruise, said to his love interest, you complete me. Now, there's been a number of issues that have been caused in relationships and marriages since then because what's supposed to complete us? Who is supposed to complete us? Well, we know it's God, right? And the rest of the world would say, well, you know, maybe it's not marriage. Maybe it's not that other person. But then they would go and place their hope in things that are more silly. They place their hope in maybe their job or their position or their money or that car, that, maybe that thing that they're waiting to get that they just idolize. And they said, when I get that, I will be complete. Some people say, well, when I get to a certain point in life and you know, I have these investments in place, or maybe I just reach a certain age and I become godly enough that I will be complete. And everything Paul says here, look, we will not find satisfaction in anything else except for God and this continual training in righteousness that he does for us. And he does it through his word. So don't tell me like, you know, well, I can can have a relationship with God and I can know him, but I don't ever have to pick up my Bible. I don't ever have to talk with him. I don't ever have to go to church. I don't ever have to belong to a family of faith. And Paul's saying, here's the instruction that we need. Here's the training. Here's the thing that leads to righteousness and this completeness that what? That the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And this idea for being complete, it's this continual process that doesn't, and it relates to this idea of progressive sanctification, which just means that we will never be complete until we stand before God. And we're taking these steps along this road of being complete. And when we stand before God, holy we'll be able to see that. What was it for? Well, he says here that we would be equipped for every good work. And this is the fruit of our lives, right? That God has already prepared in advance what the scriptures tell us for every good work. And God knows what they are, but the question is, are we going to walk in these? To be complete in the Lord, it takes a lifetime in pursuit of God. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you're just waiting for that moment to be challenged. Maybe nothing really that difficult has happened in your life, and you're just like, I don't know. I mean, like, I've been doing my thing, and it's worked out okay. Um, I haven't really had to lean on the Lord a whole lot. Don't wait until some catastrophic event happens that either makes you go like, oh, I need to pick up my Bible, and then maybe things get better, and it kind of goes to the wayside again. I'll share a story with you in closing, and um, just pray for you. So uh, there was this individual um, in my life. She was my choir teacher growing up at church. So when churches did like, you know, the children's choirs, I would go, I hated it, right? I would go and they make you sing the songs and do the motions. I was like, why am I here? Like my mom helped with it. And I think that was kind of part of the reason. Um, but I would go and I would just, I would cut up. Like I would cause problems. 
Uh, if you've had a kid like that or you are a kid like that, that was me. And I just was like, I did not want to be there. And I'd, I'd throw jokes and I would disrupt. And so my choir teacher came to me. Her name was Sydney. She's um, who we named our third baby after. And um, she came to me and she said, Michael, if you would just do something for God, if you would put your focus, all that energy in causing problems and just doing all the things that you want to do, then maybe you could do something great. Maybe God would use your life for something great. And we, I think for the most part, certainly our culture and the world, spend so much time like just going, how can I do what I want? How can I get what I want? How can I accomplish what I want? And we lose sight of God's purposes in our life, the things that he's already prepared for us, those good works that God is working on us and he's training us in. But how do we ever get to that point unless we're serious about God? How do we ever get to that point unless we're, re- we're reading our Bible, unless we're praying, unless we're coming to church and we're a part of a family that encourages us and lifts us up? So maybe you're wondering, or maybe you wondered in the past, like, is this Bible, is it really the Swiss army knife of our faith? Well, I tell you, it's better than that. It's everything that we need for life and hope to follow God. And so maybe you had one of those growing up, and it didn't have like the spoon and the fork and all that stuff. And um, Alana was telling me after I, I uh, shared the message with her, um, she said, he probably shouldn't have used the knife to catch that, catch that newspaper. She's like, maybe if he had a fork on it, that would have worked better. So whatever it is for you, um, whatever tool you think you need, and wherever you're at in your life spiritually, maybe you don't even know God, and um, I want to share that opportunity with you just to put your faith and trust in Him for the first time. Whatever it is that you need, I know God's got it for you in the Word. Whatever decision, whatever difficult thing you're coming up on, whatever you're in the midst of right now, I know the Scripture has the answer, and it's better than the Swiss Army knife, right? It's truly the Swiss Army knife of our faith. So we've got to be prepared for persecution. The difficult things that will happen, Keeping the faith and then being complete, well, it's just about being close to God and being faithful, what he wants us to do in the moment, okay? Uh, if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity. Maybe you're listening online. It's as easy as this. Admit you're a sinner, right? And believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross for your sins. On the third day, he was raised from the dead. It also tells us that we should confess with our mouths. Like, it's not just enough to just say, yeah, I mean, I might believe in God. No, we didn't need to say that out loud. We need to say that to somebody else who can walk alongside us and encourage us and help us get to that next step, okay? So if that's you, I'd love to talk with you. If you're online and you're like, I, don't, I need to make that decision, um, reach out to us on the email list on the website, okay? Um, so let me pray for you, and we'll close, okay? Father, we thank you for this day, for the word that you give us. We take it for granted so much of the time. Uh, I pray that as we anticipate difficult seasons, difficult times, even severe persecution like Paul experienced, um, that we would have hope and encouragement for this life. Um, that as it seems like, you know, we're the one hanging on to the cross, God, um, the truth is you're hanging on to us. Um, we just pray that you would allow us to remain faithful, that we would keep the faith um, that you've given us, that we would not be faithless, that you would lead us into righteousness. God, that being complete as we've talked about is really just knowing you daily. And God, that when we stand before you in heaven, um, God, I pray that we would be able um, to at that moment know that we have been fully known as you fully know us, as the scripture tells us. I pray as we walk out of this place today, um, that we'd walk with confidence, um, knowing that you guide us, knowing that every decision, every difficult circumstance, every place in life that we come to, you've given us answers and you've given us hope in your word. I pray that we would lean on it in that way. 
in the word that you've given us, the most important words, the scripture. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you, church. And I will see you and see more of you next week, maybe as you're listening online. And uh, glad you're here. Okay? Have a good day.